I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Thanks, Carl. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the big bounce back in stocks following yesterday's sudden sell-off and now a pressing question for our committee today. Is it time to trim or time to buy? Joining me for the hour to answer that question, Josh Brown's got a new move coming up. We'll tell you about that. Kerry Firestone's here. Bill Baruch is as well. And Jim Labenthal just set his 2024 target for stocks. We'll reveal that in a moment. Take a look at the markets where I said we are bouncing back. Rough day late yesterday. Everything's green now. We do have the 10-year at 3.8. Sarah was just talking about that. I want to go right to Jim, though. We've been waiting for you to set your target for next year, in which you have. And you're at the top end of where the street is, 5,100. Got some company up there. Some strategists have have set that number. Why does that sound reasonable to you? Um, it has a lot to do with earnings growth. I mean, let's just focus right there. Actually, it has everything to do with earnings growth, right? The analyst estimates right now are that we're going to get 12% growth year over year next year, as well as the following year. And our methodology is really kind of simple. I mean, it takes the 2025 earnings. It attaches a multiple that we have some subjectivity to. I'll come back to that in one second. We do a bull base and a bear scenario, and we weight them. Here's the takeaways, okay? In the base case scenario, as I said, we're using the analyst estimates. The multiple we're using using uh, at the end of the year is 18 and a half times forward uh, earnings. Now, some people may say 18 and a half. What are you crazy, right? In this interest rate environment? No, we're not crazy. First off, that's roughly the 15 year average on the S&P 500 on a look forward basis. But also, we've got to remember that we're going to be in a declining interest rate environment next year. And that will support perhaps a higher multiple than people suggest uh, would think. A couple other things I want to point out, Scott. One, our bull base and bear scenarios are kind of equally weighted. We're not sure. We're not sure if things are going to be better, worse, or right as expected. Okay. We Can I tell you what I think the biggest punchline is, or are on, you about to go on, there? No, hang on real quick. What's surprising to me is not the multiple you have. It's that as bullish as you are, you're only expecting 8%. I love it. Only expect. I don't want to cut you off. You got me 8%. excited here. All right. I'm surprised by that. Okay. That was a beautiful setup. You knew where I was going. Thank you. Um, absolutely right. Because, look, there's, it's the components of the S&P 500 that's going to matter. It's the components of the markets that are going to matter. It should surprise no one, if you follow my style of investment, that I'm underweight technology and I'm more overweight the uh, economically sensitive areas of the market. That's financials, industrials, materials, energy. I see a very bright future for those sectors. But the sector, Scott, that I see, that we see the brightest future for is actually small cap. So, and quick side note here, we're targeting the S&P 600. I know quite often we talk about the Russell 2000. Avid viewers will note that the Russell 2000 has a lot of non-earners in there. The S&P 600 cures for that. So, but, but the same methodology applies, and it should apply to both indices. There we see a 16% return in small caps next year. So I, I think many of us have been saying this. I'm pretty sure I'm not alone. It's not the headline S&P 500 that you want to focus in on next year. It's the subcomponents. For me, for us at Sarity Partners, small caps and the economically sensitive sectors are where we want to be. Okay. What do you think? Well, you I think? think that the price target, 8%, maybe it's a little higher than we would use, but I, I, I can support that. I, I do think it's very critical for all of the S&P beyond the top seven or eight names to participate in a continuing way. They have. That's what driven this market higher recently. And they're trading right now at 14 times. The equal weight is 14 times 2025 earnings. Not a high multiple at all. 
we need them to get to a smaller discount from the big tech names. That's really what it's about, a smaller discount, and then you can move the market up six to eight percent higher than it is today. But I think anybody who looks and says, wow, we're incredibly bullish, the S&P weighted is going to have a fantastic first quarter. Well, you know, that's a tough call right now, considering where the market has just come. What do you think? What do you think? I, I believe. Is it too aggressive? Is it not aggressive enough? The method to the number, is that right? Small caps are going to lead the way yeah. next year? Yeah, I, I, I like to I like to underpromise, maybe over-deliver. 5,100, we could exceed that. I think small caps can lead. I like that quite a bit. IJR, that S&P 600, uh, I mean, that could go to 130. I mean, I, I mean that's. I think that's 25% gain or so. That, that really leads. The pace in which interest rates come down could be a tailwind. But if interest rates aren't coming down as much as expected, the tailwind will be actually steady growth. And I think inflation, the trajectory of inflation stays down. So I think we're in a sort of Goldilocks environment next year in an election year as well. So, Josh Brown, as I segue to you, um, I guess you can give me your comment on whether you, you know, what you think of Jim's target. And then I want to mention your new buy. But I'm going to tee you up for that after you give me your quick comment about what Jim has just uh, said about what the makeup of the market's likely to look like next year. So I guess I would say two things. Number one. Jim directionally was more right than most of the people that we put in front of the public as vaunted uh, chief, chief global strategist, chief equity strategist. The consensus last year was pitch black. Jim was trying to see the positive. The positive ended up winning out. He deserves a lot of credit for that. Uh, and I had a lot of doubt about his outlook for 2023, really until May, May or June when I started to change my own, uh, my own tune. So you, I give him a lot of credit. Thank you. you got it, that, but there's a, there's a but. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I, don't believe in, I don't believe in price targets. I do believe in directionally, like having a view. My point of view is the same as Jim's. I don't see why this has to halt abruptly just because the calendar turns over. Of course, that could happen, but if the underpinning of this rally is a massive catch-up trade, uh, for, you know, the S&P 450 that sat out a lot of this until the last two months, there's a lot of room for that trade to run. If the underpinning of this is value stocks, maybe they should be at a discount to growth, but not this big of a discount, not a record-breaking discount. If that's part of the underpinning of his bull case, I believe that too. And I think that has a lot more room. Mm -hmm. um, and then the last thing I would say is, uh, You've got earnings growth again. It might not be the most robust earnings growth we've ever seen, but you are going to get this tailwind from the, the puck going back from services back to goods. S&P 500 earnings are highly predicated on goods spending. The real economy is much more services, and that's why the stock market and the economy don't always look like a mirror image of each other. Okay. So those are tailwinds, and I think Jim's going to get it right. I hope 8% is what, what it does. It'd be nice. 8% is a really safe uh, call because that's the average long-term return. Mm -hmm. But what's ironic about that is you almost never actually get an 8% return. So um, we get that average because we get much, much, much bigger swings. But we'll take it. If he ends up being right, I'll, uh, I'll be very happy with that. So I don't know that you know, many will be surprised to hear your new buy. You flagged it in the last you know, handful of shows. But you just bought Snap. Yeah. Tell me why. It's a yeah. very interesting move to make now, given the stock is up nearly 100%, nearly a double in just three months. 
Yeah. I'm the only schmuck who talks up a stock and then buys it after. So uh, it's, it's about $17. This was a stock that uh, not that long ago was $75 a share. If you look at the history of this name, the volatility has just been absolutely off the charts. And with good reason. It's a non-profitable company. They've gotten very good at building a sticky user base. They have more users than, than uh, X and X was taken off the market for like almost $50 billion, but they've never been able to make money. Uh, after the IPO in 2017, the stock fell 40%. It fell 60, 62% the next year. Then in 2019, it rallied 200%. In 2020, it went up another 200%, then down six, then down 81% last year. This year, year to date, it's up 85. So that's what I mean. This is one of the most wild rides I have ever seen, even in tech stocks. That being said, there's something happening here fundamentally. There's a momentum for Snapchat Plus that I think is now undeniable. They had 3 million users this spring. All of a sudden, it's at 7 million users. Three Wall Street firms have upgraded it in the last week because they're starting to understand Yes, the advertising business will come back, but while we wait for that recovery globally, there's an internal business at Snap that has caught fire. It's gone viral. A lot of it has to do with the way they're using AI, and then a lot of it has to do with just good old-fashioned mining for what the users actually want out of features and what they're willing to pay for. So Snap's got all these new features that are only available for Plus users. I know for our audience, it's not important to them. If you're 16, you live and die based on having access to this. They have 400 million daily active users. It is a massive user base. And that user base is growing despite the fact they haven't figured out how to make money yet. Mm -hmm. I think they're now in the early stages of really monetizing. I wouldn't be surprised to see the stock into the mid-20s at some point this year. So I, I saw this move, and I was reminded by you know, one of our producers that Joe bought Twilio, guys that stocks up you know, 30% in three months. Whether now is time to ask the question, should you trim some of these massive winners which have gone up in such parabolic, in such a short period of time, or if it's just time to buy certain names with high conviction behind them where the fundamental story is still supportive, like Josh just made the case around Snap. So we looked at five of your best winners, okay? Since November 1st, that's when this whole thing started. Right. The gains are astounding. Carry, Blackstone, up 39. But use, tw but use 2022. No, I, yeah, like, I know. Like average in the two years. I got you, I got you, but still it's hard to ignore what's happened recently. That, and that, that's why I want to have this conversation, because what you just did, Josh, proved that you need to have a uh, much wider lens into how you would view a particular stock's move. And, and, and I love that. And I want to expand it. Blackstone's up 39 percent yep. since November 1st. Salesforce, 32. Schwab, 31. Sherwin, 29. American Express, 26. You'd have to go through every single one of them. But give me the psyche behind the way you're thinking about them as a group. Yeah. Time to trim? Time to buy? What do you think? Yeah. So there's really a, a couple of themes going on here. And with that group, financials is a big factor. So Blackstone, Schwab, American Express, they are all 
stocks that underperformed massively this year until recently because interest rates were going higher and nobody wanted a bank or anything like a financial institution. And since we've had the pivot quote from the Fed or actually before that, these stocks have all mm-hmm. moved higher. Okay, so there's the financial theme. Then you've got the soft landing theme, which is about industrials and about housing and about mortgage rates coming down. And and, and that plays into Sherwin and Salesforce. So I think everybody's um, hot names recently have reflected something about financials and soft landing. Do we think those are the names to trim? Less likely to trim most of those, the financials, than the ones that have had these big moves where they were already strong this year. So what's, that's where you have to, like, for example, Salesforce. Yeah. You know. What's crazy is that we narrowed these down to five for, per person. There were like 10 names on this list, if not more, that were up substantially with these kinds of returns. Yeah. We're like, well, we don't have time to do all of them, but it gives you an idea of what some of these stocks have done. Bill Baruch, I'll jump to you. Uber's up 41%. These are all, again, reminder, November 1st to now. Morgan Stanley, speaking of financials, up 30%. Bank of America up 26. Uh, ICVIA, uh, 26. IQ, what is that? Target up 25. Health sciences, uh, kind of like a Thermo Fisher, a little more volatility maybe with that, a little, little more, more of a multiple. Um, starting with the financials, and I've said this before, you go into year two of a bull market, healthcare, financials, and actually utilities got start to perform in year two as the rates start to come down in that, in that environment. So Morgan Stanley, I, I think their, their prime position, wealth management, deal making, Bank of America, the net interest income is, is something that's going to start turning, I think, for them. They're going to be a leader there as rates come down. I, I do think we'll see the steepening yield curve. Um, when you go to an Uber, I mean, there was obviously some headline with Uber. It's going to join the S&P. I think of Uber as an industrial company. I mean, everything they have across the board, I mean, they're, they're, ha- they're making deals with everything. I mean, we own Domino's Pizzas up huge, and Domino's Pizza is going to start rolling out all of their franchises on Uber Eats. So I, I think Uber's turned a sharp corner this year. It's just a big story in of itself. You look at any of these names on your list and say, I think I'm going to trim X on this list. What do you think? Let's, th- let's show them up. Bill, Bill's five stocks that have just had massive gains in six weeks. So these names, I'm not really looking to trim them. I'm actually looking to add to Bank of America. I, I may look to trim Uber. Um, where I'm planning on trimming, though, is is these big the big tech. I mean, I am 50% plus tech-weighted right now, and everybody's been talking about cyclical mo- motive movement and rotation. I, I put the last bit of my cash to work in some of the cyclicals, but I still am very heavy in the tech. I, I'm, I think, I'm very active, and I'm going to be very nimble. My finger's on the trigger, but I, I want to see, I probably want to trim a little bit of Apple, a little NVIDIA, some of those names up top, and, and then be able to maybe add more to Bank of America, lean into healthcare a little bit, see where things go. But I don't think I need to do that until the middle of January. The January 19th options expiration okay. could be volatile. Now to Farmer Jim. Boeing up 40% since November 1st, Delta 32, NXP 32, BlackRock 30, Alaska Air 29. Do you need to clear some brush from your property here? So not yet. Okay, but it's an appropriate question. Um, it's a topic of discussion, let me say that. Um, for the most part, these stocks, and you know, there's a bunch of others uh, that are in the same boat, I think they have a lot more room to run. However, whenever you put a group of stocks together, I don't care if it's the Mega 7 or these stocks, there's always going to be one that you're looking at and you're thinking, hmm, you know, maybe I should be doing something. So this may surprise you, Judge. It may surprise our viewers. The, I'm not trimming it, but Boeing's at the top of the list of things to trim. 
Um, it's a topic of discussion that I had with Stephanie, who's also a shareholder, as you know, just a couple of days ago in a commercial break. And the, the reason for this is really quite simple. It was down in the doldrums for so long, and, and Scott and viewers, you'll remember, I added to it a lot. So this stock, by virtue of being up kind of 50% over the last year, has become rather enormous in my portfolio. I think there's plenty of room to run here, and I'm not trimming today. My point is is that it's, it's a topic of discussion. And see, Josh, as I pivot to you, um, I I'd love your comment about Uber because I think, if I remember correctly, you trimmed maybe 10% of your position in the last few weeks. Am I right? Did, are you the one who did that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I did it as it hit its high and not because I wanted to own less Uber. It's just the biggest winner I've ever been in, really. Mm -hmm. Like, like it just it's a huge position and it went up so much and it went up a lot more than a lot of other stocks that I'm invested in. So that's that's my sell discipline. I, I do that when I have a really big outsized winner, just so like my whole life doesn't get, you know, wrapped up in, in how it does. But that's what every, I think, prudent investor would do. It's not necessarily a judgment on whether or not there's still upside because I might have trimmed 10%, but what that means is I held 90 and I have no intention of being uh, out of Uber. Right. So uh, my, my, personal, my personal opinion is, like, if you think of all the publicly traded companies that could become, like, a, the next mega tech platform company, a la Magnificent Seven, Uber's on that list. Doesn't mean it's going to happen, but it has that potential. They, they, they are the killer app for all things mobility, whether you want to ship liquor or food or people, anything you want to move physically from point A to point B, right. they're probably well, going to be the default choice to do that. And that real estate that they occupy on our phones and in our minds is unreplaceable. Uber is a verb in our, uh, in, what, in, in our lives. And about, I think that, that's what I really like about it. What about Carl? So your list includes Carlisle up 48, Samsara 44, Shake Shack 29, Matterport 27, Empire State Realty 22, again, just since November 1st, as this market went nuts. Talk to us about your thought process yeah. here. Well, a lot of those names you just mentioned are among my worst investments and stocks that I probably shouldn't even be in anymore. Uh, so they will be dealt with. I did not need tax losses per se from these positions, but if I did, boy, I'll tell you, uh, I, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't think that I handled the drawdowns in some of those names the way that I should have in the last couple of years, and. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't even want to get into the fundamentals of those companies because there's really not much exciting uh, worth sharing. Yeah. There's the list. Um, I appreciate the conversation, guys. I think it's helpful um, because, let, let's face it, we know that, you know, some viewers follow you guys in to names that you mentioned repeatedly on this program. They're probably wondering some of the very same things that I've asked you, whether they should trim some of their big winners or not. I hope your answers have helped them. Chips have been a huge winner, too. Um, the SMH is pacing for its best year since 2003, 20 years. 80% of the SMH is outperforming the S&P. That leads us to our chart of the day. Thank you for the animation there, because it's Micron, uh, which is up near 7%. Christina Partsinevelos is on the set with us at Post 9 to tell us what's going on here on the back of earnings. 
big beat, guidance is up, gross margins improved, which is what the street wanted. But I want our audience to know that all of that has to do with the selling price climbing higher. And this is really a volumes game. Volume is low for a lot of these chips, and that's what's driving the stock forward, not necessarily demand. And I say that because even on the call, and we have a quote for it, management warned that they don't expect volume growth to increase in Q2 or Q3 of next year. Reasons for that is that producers have been cutting back to, to get through excess supply. But the other major issue is when you switch to a regular memory chip to a more advanced one, it's way more complicated. You take a larger wafer, you use a lot more of the equipment. And so that takes much longer to go to market. That increased their CapEx cost, but it also means a little bit less supply. So that played into uh, this role. And it made me think, you know, this is great for fiscal 2024, why you're seeing so many price hikes across the board, JP Morgan, uh, Wells Fargo, the list continues. We can even show that as well. But what about fiscal 2025 when all of this is riding on AI and AI saving the day for these high bandwidth memory chips? You own the stock, right? Yeah, it's a top 10 name of ours. I, I love this name. And I mean, this is a classic super cycle in memory here. Now, one thing I really do like, going back to last year, the Micron CEO, when, pe when he speaks, people listen. He was talking about it last year, but it's going to be a tough year. It's going to be going into this new one. And he hopes that, that uh, his peers bring down their, their estimations. Uh, they did theirs last year, middle of the year, and, and the, stock, the stock took it pretty hard. Now, it's been able to recover very well out of this. The fact that he's upbeat, I think there's a, there's a good tailwind. Speaking of 2025, I mean, they're, yeah, their revenue in their net income is going to accelerate. I think 6.6 .6 billion in 2025. Um, this is this is I, I like this name. I like memory. We, he talked about last quarter was the trough. I think this stock's going to be. I heard Kramer say it earlier today. Hundred dollar stock. If we hold above yesterday's low, that's the line in the sand. I want to own this thing, and that's my stop. Yeah, I think we're right around the highs of the day now, about seven percent. The game for Micron. Yeah, and, and it's going to stay like that for quite some time because of this AI play. They even use the, the Midas touch of NVIDIA saying that NVIDIA is qualifying them. <laughs> when in the, doubt. I know. When in doubt. Know, Oracle, Dobie, everybody NVIDIA. just name drops NVIDIA and then you see the stock climb higher, but they said they're yeah. in the final stages of qualifying their high bandwidth memory chips for the H200, a new chip coming out next year, uh, which is a good sign, but even that won't be about 12 to 14 months to come to market. Yeah, so we, we mentioned that the space has done well. You don't own this name. I mean, you own others. What do you what do you think here about what's been an incredible move for the chips? Uh, well, it's been an incredible move both in the size of the move, but also the breadth of it. Right. We're no longer just talking about NVIDIA and exactly. Broadcom. And at least in part, that's predicated on the belief that end markets outside of AI are picking up Internet of Things, PCs, uh, uh, mobile phones, automotive and all that sort of stuff. Now, I heard, Christina, I just heard you throwing a little bit of maybe healthy cold water on that saying, hey, it's price, not volume. Yeah. But you can't raise price, right, unless there's actually end-user demand. Or let me rephrase this, and I'm asking you the question, because I'm, I'm bullish, both on AI but outside of AI. And at the very least, these markets like mobile and PCs look like they've bottomed. Would you agree? Oh, 100%. So that is another factor. You're seeing strength. They even said that they see a low to mid-single-digit growth specifically for PCs. The smartphone market's continuing. Da data centers, though, uh, you had the CEO say that it still remains elevated and it'll take maybe till mid-fiscal 2024 to come down. So to your point, yes, those two markets are uh, playing a role, but that's a high, lower selling price than all mm -hmm. of this high bandwidth memory. So is that going to be the, the trend that's going to really propel them forward and justify these $100 price targets? It may explain why these stocks, such as a Qualcomm or an NXP, are quite a bit cheaper than, say, you know, an NVIDIA, just as an example, or an AMD. Yeah. What you just said. Yeah. To that point, within 
NVIDIA, if we're throwing around 2025, 2026 numbers, with the estimates that NVIDIA has out there for 2026, it's a multiple of 22, a PE of 22. Now, I mean, you have these hyperscalers uh, like Microsoft and Alphabet, and they're monetizing AI quicker than expected, which is going to be more GPU demand, more demand from NVIDIA, and their, their H, uh, H200 in, in the next, next year. year. Yeah, it's going to be a big, I'll come off the shelves, flying off. Thank you for being here. Thank That's you. Christina Partzinevelos. There is another stock that has surged this year, arguably the most important, no argument that it's the biggest, it's Apple. Here's what we're gonna do. We don't have time to do it now, we're gonna take a break because Barron's just put Apple on its cover. Whether that's a blessing or a curse, we shall see. They're, question, they're questioning the soaring stock, whether they have the growth to justify that. We're gonna kick that around along with many other names coming up when we come back. We also have a trader triple play, three stock headlines on our radar. We'll do that when we come back. There's Apple. It's only up 50 and a half percent in 2023. And now I want you to show I want to show you this cover of Barron's that I alluded to. It just dropped uh, hitting mailboxes soon. Obviously, there it is. Apple needs new growth to justify its soaring stock. It won't be easy. This is the Apple paradox. They say the company's stock trades near record highs with a market value no other company has ever attained. But its growth is gone. Sales fell 3% in the latest fiscal year. They're forecast to be up less than 4% in the current fiscal year, which ends next September. There's no clear plan for getting it restarted. Josh Brown, take this on first. Yeah, this is Eric Savitz, a, a veteran uh, tech, tech investing uh, journalist. And I think he makes a really valid point. The question to me, though, is not will they restart growth. It's how long will the gap be between now and the mixed reality headset, which I do think is going to be a major platform for the hardware platform uh, for them. So how long can they go before those are priced somewhere that normal people would be interested in buying them? And the problem for longs here is that that could be a while. So what happens between now and then? Uh, probably not a ton of growth, but a whole lot of uh, free cash flow generation, lots of buyback activity. Um, so you're gonna have to hope that people who have bought in at this valuation are tied it over. Uh, I do recognize the challenge. Now, here's a wild card. If they come out and they do the AI app store, that's a whole nother narrative that I don't think a lot of people are ready uh, or even expecting anything like that. But if they decide that they wanna own the next generation of apps, and the AI ecosystem, if they want to own that to the extent that they own the current, uh, plat uh, the, the, the current platform, that's a really interesting conversation that could be very profitable and very exciting for shareholders. So that's the one wild card that I would throw out that I don't think Barron's really spent that much time on. Bill, um, up 50.5%. Is that justified? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, we're seeing the S&P basically at a record high. Apple is hitting a record high. It's consolidating up there really nicely. Now, yeah, it's not sexy that you're seeing the new revenue growth, or but you, what you're getting is services. Services increased quarter uh, year over year this last quarter by 16%. It's about a quarter of their business now. So it's, it's a bigger piece of the pie. So I think as they grow that, and as Josh alluded to, I think next generation of apps. I mean, it, this, yeah, you have to have this in your portfolio. Sure, it's a balance. Of course, you, uh, 
That's neither here nor there. Yeah. Um, whether people should have it in their portfolio. It's our number one stock. I, I, I get that, but that, that, that doesn't help me out. Here's what I want you to, to, to deal with. The stock's coming off three consecutive quarters of negative growth, okay? That's what they're questioning. Every, it's the biggest stock in the market for a reason, because yeah. almost everybody owns it, so it's a part of many portfolios. Is a 50.5% gain for a stock that's just gone through three consecutive quarters of negative growth justified? And is there a road ahead to justify the multiple that it currently trades at? I'm not suggesting there isn't, but I want to hear from you whether there is or not. Apple's not an Amazon from a decade ago, of course. I mean, it's a behemoth. It's the largest, largest company in the world right now. But yeah, I think when you see the move, movement that we had in the market and the flows that came out of the market, so this is less about revenue, I think, these gains this year. The flows that are coming back in, Apple is going to move. It's going to, it's 100% going to be something that's going to be leader. But again, I, I don't think their revenue growth, the trajectory of the broad revenue growth, may, may demand the growth, the, the the gain that it's had this year. But to that point, I think people are focusing on their next generation, the the uh, virtual reality, and focusing on the services. And I think that services, I mean, everybody talks about it, but I, I think that is a real ballast to what's what's driving the stock. Forward P of 30. Yeah. Um, well above the 10-year historical average. Right. I think we all know that. Yep. What, what's your answer to the question? Well, there are times that you want to buy Apple and times that you want to hold or sell up. This is not a time to buy for us. It's 26 times 2025 earnings, and those are fairly optimistic-looking earnings. So what you've got is a 7.3% weight in the S&P 500. It represents the bottom 150 names in the S&P. Add them all together, it's smaller than Apple, so it matters. Is it a buy here? We don't think so. Is it a great company with great cash flow, a huge balance sheet, a dividend? Yes. Are we underweight? Yes. So it's not, you know, it's not priced, we think, uh, at a level that's very attractive. But Scott, it's not one thing priced, on this. so we sell. Yeah, quick, Josh. Uh, on, on P.E. ratio, there, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of talk about the premium it sells over the S&P 500. I would always argue, well, shouldn't it? Like, it's oh, a 50% sure. premium yeah, to the S&P. Sure. It's the yeah. degree shouldn't to it. which it deserves, too. But, but wait, I mean, wait. it's not the should it, of course. But, where, but why, does it de- why does it deserve it? The, here's the reason. The switching costs out of the Apple ecosystem are completely untenable for its user base. People will not even consider it. Buffett made this point last year. Uh, he said it's the only company where if you offered someone, here's $10,000, the catch is you can never buy another Apple product again. Pretty much nobody would take it. Um, that's in the price that's of the what, stock. Look at, look at other companies, Meta, Microsoft. You could switch away from these names. That's why they, they don't deserve the same premium that Apple gets now. Is, is that worth unlimited? No. That's a limit to its I'm growth, I'm just telling though. you that's where it exists from. Yeah. That's a, that's a limit to its growth, and I'm not suggesting selling it here, but I am underweighted. And what you just said is absolutely right, but how many people have are left to switch from Android to an iPhone? I don't even know an Android user, at least not in the United States. I will say this really quickly, Real quick, that whenever please. we pull up a Barron's article like this, I think people, investors of a certain age, go back to Cisco in 2001, the Barron's article. Well, it's like the SI jinx. What's that? It's like the SI jinx. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. Right. But right. let's compare the two. Cisco at the time was trading at 120 times earnings. This is, as Carrie it's said, a bearish. Know, it's, it's a bearish cover. It's, bearish it's not. It's, yeah. it's nothing like that. Oh, it's a right. 
No, no, no. Well, the, yeah, the point I was making is that the Cisco cover it's a bearish was a, cover. The Cisco sure. was a bearish cover as well, and, and the stock still hasn't recovered 22 years later to that level. But I do not think that's not what Apple's Apple. doing right now. By the no. way, if Apple goes up with the market to my target, it's going to be up 8% next year. This is how that might feel. The market and Apple at any point next year could have a correction. People are going to kvetch and moan, and it's the end of the world, and maybe it goes up 8% year to, uh, at the end of the year, and we're all happy. All right, I got to bounce. Uh, let's go to Bertha Coombs with the headlines. Hey, Bertha. Hey, Scott. An update now on a mass shooting in Prague. Police just gave a press conference where they updated the number of dead, now saying more than 15 people, including the shooter, were killed. The shooter's father was also found dead earlier today. More than a dozen others were also injured. Police identified the shooter as a student at the university where that mass shooting happened. Harvard University's president is facing another controversy. The school says Claudine Gay is now updating her dissertation after evidence emerged showing two more examples of insufficient citation in her work. The accusations come just after a week after the school stepped up to support Gay following outcries over her congressional testimony about preventing anti-Semitism on Harvard's campus. And as winter officially begins today, the CDC director says the U.S. is seeing a sharp rise in flu levels right now, particularly in the south, and COVID cases appear to be climbing nationally. But there is some good news. The RSV virus does not appear to have peaked, not to mention the fact that there's just a common cold going around, Scott. A lot of stuff going around. Uh, Bertha, thanks. Bertha Coombs. Up next, three stock headlines on our radar, including talks of a mega media merger yet again. The headline sending Zoom higher and the one stock carry owns that's flooring it today. <laughs> All that when we come Very back. All right, welcome back. Let's hit some of today's big stock stories led by that one right there. Warner Brothers Discovery and Paramount uh, said to be in talks to merge. Jim Labenthal, you've been in Paramount. We've talked on numerous occasions about the thesis here, hoping for a deal, waiting for something. I hope this isn't it. Why? Uh, Well, a lot of reasons, but let me just go to the heart of the matter. Debt. Debt. Okay. And I know a lot of people look at Paramount and say, well, it's heavily indebted. I think you're looking at it wrong when you say that. It has $15 billion of debt on its balance sheet. It's got $2 billion of cash. That's before the sale of Simon and Schuster, which was another $2 billion that they've already used to pay down debt. So there's no debt maturities coming before 2027. They've got positive free cash flow. And the point I'm trying to make here is they've got some runway here to make the deal that works. Pairing up with Warner Brothers, which I struggle to see the synergies there, and I see some cannibalization of subscribers as well, but it pairs you with a company that's got $43 billion of debt uh, against the $28 billion market cap, so I don't see it. Now, I will say this, Scott, and there, I mean, there is a lot of a lot of noise going on around this stock right now, potential Apple distribution partnership, maybe Skydance by Sherry's Redstone's uh, National Amusement, the change in the pay packages for the executives that may, makes it seem like there's a deal imminent. Mm-hmm. I think you got to just sit down and get through the noise and look at the signal, which is that the stock is under valued at $15 a share. It's half of book value. That book value, mainly the content, is worth more than 50%, which is marketed, which is what the market is saying. Maybe there's a signal in the move of down 3%. 
uh, even don't as do the synergy as is they have to shut are, down are, streaming. Are you know, Josh, I, I hear you on that, and I respectfully disagree. Now, this is a debate, right? And David Ellison at Skydance is rumored to want to shut down uh, the streaming. I get you, but a couple of things here. One, Paramount, if you believe the executives, they said on the last call they're past peak losses on it. They're still growing subscribers pretty good. Pretty good. And at around 65, 70 million subscribers, that's valuable to somebody. Sell it. Sell the streaming business. Jim, they're past peak losses. They're past peak losses because what they're going to do now, which is what every desperate company does when the shareholders start demanding profits, what they're going to do is milk the subscriber base. They're not going to produce as much content, and they're just going to smash you over the head with reruns. Yeah. And they'll get by doing that for a while, but you will never, ever grow yourself into profitability I'm not by as giving as the okay. audience less. I want to move on. I want to get to another stock. It's CarMax. The shares are up today. Earnings beat. You own that. Yeah, we own it because... It's been a tough road for the car industry. We couldn't buy a new car, and therefore people weren't selling them into used car lots. Things are starting to get better. This was not a great quarter because price was down and units were down, but the gross margin per car held up, and the cost to buy the cars for CarMax went down. So we think that we're near bottom for earnings. It was up year over year, but this is a cycle that's starting to improve. The company can earn a lot more than it's earning now, and we think there's a long runway or the home stretches. Uh, we're revving up right now for the home stretch. Yeah. Analysts have been talking a lot about uh, Caterpillar and Deer uh, lately. They are again today with calls. We're going to do that in our calls of the day. Got United Health on our radars today. Got Amgen, CrowdStrike, UNP, Domino's. We'll talk about those next. What was my ambition when I was starting out? Survival. I love the word ambition. Ambition is passion. It's a key ingredient of greatness. To me, ambition is being undaunted by the impossible. I'm ambitious for the nation. I'm ambitious for its people. I'm ambitious for my people. My ambition has always been to seek the truth. To learn as much as I possibly could. To make an impact. I believe in dreaming big. I always have. My ambition is to show gratitude. Yes. Ambition. It's got America written all over it. Ambition really is the foundation of capitalism. I wanted to do great things in this country. My ambition is to do very well in business and to take those profits and recycle back in society to try to make the world a better place. Everything can be a reality. I see ambition everywhere. In many ways, ambition, human ambition, is what drives the world. talk about Zoom, and I want to do that now because Kathy Wood is buying more of that. Um, it's now their fifth largest holding. Josh Brown, you bought it recently. Yeah, me and Kathy are going to ride this thing uh, all through 2024. I'm pretty excited to have her aboard. Uh, I, look, I think, uh, I think the stock is so cheap, it would be very hard for them to disappoint. It's 14 times forward earnings. Almost nobody even realizes how cheap it is. And if they find growth this year, which I think they're going to in the enterprise business marketplace, I think the stock works. So I'm, I'm long and we'll see what happens. 
Okay, uh, let's hit some of these calls of the day. I said a lot of talk recently from uh, analyst community on uh, Caterpillar and Deer. We do have calls today. A negative catalyst watch on Cat uh, from Bernstein. You want to take this first, Bill? You own Cat. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we touched a record high. We're trying to get out above there. I, I they raised or they they raised the price target and they 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 downgraded the stock. I, I'm not sure about their angle there, but the way I'm looking at this is that Inflation Reduction Act. I mean, it's been very slow to to get out. That that money has not hit it. And I, I follow some of these infrastructure companies like a MassTech and a Quanta Services, and, and they're really highlighting that in their earnings reports. I think Caterpillar is very well positioned to pro, uh, to profit off of that. One third of the revenue comes from sort of infrastructure. China was a drag this year too, so I think China turns a corner and Caterpillar weather. China very, very well. Uh, I mean, if we're talking about deer as well. Well, deer's been a dud, yeah. right? I mean, it, it's been left behind. Caterpillar's up 15.5% in a month. Deer's up 25 uh, Year to date, it's down 85 versus a cat up 20 Yeah, I, I will say I've never timed deer very well. It's one of the stocks I can never time. Might be because I'm so close to the agriculture industry. Jim owns it. Maybe <laughs> he's had, Illinois. And, and he's I, had, he hasn't had good luck at it either. And from the futures brokerage side, I deal with a lot of, of small to medium-sized uh, <laughs> farmers. And, and look at uh, look where ag prices were last year. They've been down drastically. They're not getting that inflow of, of new equipment, new demand, new spending from those from that uh, demographic. Yeah, well, we would, gave you a lot of love at the top of the show. I gotta get a little zinger in there. <laughs> yeah. What well, about look, deer, though? Um, look, they ripped the bandaid off at the last earnings call. I mean, that's what they did. They really reset expectations low. I mean, the size of the guidance guide down is such that they have to have set themselves a low bar to clear. But to the point you're making, the problem with deer is you're supposed to buy it when it feels absolutely like the wrong time, when you're talking about crop prices going down and farmers aren't going to buy new equipment and all that sort of stuff. Stock's trading at 13 times. And it's flat over the last year and a half or so. This is actually the time you're supposed to lean in and buy it. All right. We will take a quick break. We'll come back. Mike Santoli with his midday work next. Right, we're back. Senior Markets commentator Mike Santoli. Uh, is on the desk. Do you feel like we're still a little wobbly after what happened yesterday yeah, late I think afternoon? It's a bit apprehensive. Feels here. it, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously not bad to have no direct immediate follow through to the downside uh, today, but volatility markets haven't calmed down at all. And that was a little bit of the foreboding we got ahead of yesterday's air pocket, which was, you know, people betting and were maneuvering for a little bit of turbulence to show it in the volatility markets. And, um, you know, we talked about last night, you have VIX not making new lows as the S&P made new highs. So nothing really has disturbed the underlying story, though, right? I mean, the GDP revisions today, right in line with what you'd want to see. It's just more a matter of, I think, people uh, have largely used the fuel of the embrace of a soft landing, and there's not that many more people to convince about it. I feel like if we looked at the market, you know, an hour from now, if it's red, I won't be surprised. It just, no. it has that, that tenor a, a bit, the right. tone to it. It, it had been locked into these, these tracks that was sort of tracing out, extending from an overbought level and, and adding and adding and adding in a grinding way. And then once you kind of jump off those tracks, then it feels like it's looser. And, uh, and you know, we'll see if it's just sort of a little bit of a reset uh, in a stretched market to, uh, to maybe allow the end of year tailwinds to come through. We'll, we'll, we'll track it uh, towards the close when yep. I see on closing bell. It's Mike Santoli, our senior markets commentator. Finals are next. All right, closing bell, 3 o'clock Easter. We're going to get Cameron Dawson's playbook for 2024. 
Stephanie Link with us ahead of Nike earnings. Remember the other day she said she was scared to death ahead of the number. Jimmy, you recently sold it. It's going to be interesting to see this one. Well, here's what we got to look for is our inventories continuing to come under control, which means pricing is getting better. And are there any hints, any green shoots uh, from China? That's what you're looking for. All right. So we're going to walk you right up to the release of Nike and OT when I see you in a couple hours time. Josh, final trade from you first, please. Uh, staying long Zoom. All right. ZM. Thank you, sir. Uh, Farmer Jim. Oracle. Look, this is now classic value tech. It's, it's pretty attractively priced. It got schmeistered after the last earnings report. And when that happens, a stock kind of needs to consolidate. I think, that, I think that consolidation is done and it's ready for another leg higher. I already uh, gave you Micron, but so I'm going to give you another another memory play here. Very cyclical is Western Digital. They're spinning out SanDisk in the middle of next year, restructuring debt in a lower rate environment where growth is steady. These names should perform. What do you think? Uh, Booz Allen Hamilton. It's an industrial. That's a group that has underperformed this year. A consultant. They focus on Defense Department, cybersecurity, and we think this is a good setup going into the election for Booz Allen. You think we're going to have another uh, interesting close here? I do. I liked what uh, Mike just said about we've kind of run out of fuel to feed this rally higher. Folks, so that doesn't mean that we're going down in some precipitous decline. It just means we need to consolidate these gains. And when that happens, you're susceptible on the downside. I mean, we do get PCE, uh, which is the Fed's favorite inflation metric. We get that in the morning. Now, Powell himself sort of front ran that. Now we need to see the actual number. We'll see how the market trades. But we'll take you through the final stretch on Closing Bell. I hope you join me then. The exchange begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer.